to Performer Talks. I'm your host, Bethany Unwin, and today I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Lucy Cummins. Dr. Lucy is a dance psychologist. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hello. Thank you for inviting me. That's an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, So for all the listeners at home, can you please tell us a little bit about you, what a dance psychologist is and what your job involves? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm predominantly a lecturer. So I'm a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of Chichester. And as part of the role that lecturers have in psychology, actually in most subjects across the UK, we all have to undertake research. Um, And I'm very, very lucky that I get to research dances and I've researched a kind of whole variety of questions around dancers and psychology looking at their kind of creativity and now more and more looking at their psychological well-being and um one of the other things that um lecturers have to do in the uk and i'm really happy that this is part of my job is to is to kind of take our research knowledge into the field that we're working in and try to make changes with it so um as part of that kind of um, exchange of knowledge from my research, what I do is um, go into dance schools, dance companies, um, sometimes work with freelance dancers and work a lot with One Dance UK to kind of disseminate my kind of scientific knowledge. So as a psychologist, I think lots of people think that a psychologist sits in like a room and has someone on their sofa and has a chat. (laughs) That's not at all what I do. Um, I'm mostly a lecturer who does research and then I take that research and that scientific knowledge into dance schools. And I work from a very kind of um, theoretical evidence-based perspective. So I kind of give lots of mini lectures around dance to performers and around mental health. That's amazing. It sounds like such an interesting topic. I'd love to see one of these lectures. That sounds amazing. Um, So what inspired you to become a dance psychologist? Because that's not everyone's like striving to do that because it's such a, I feel like it's such a niche subject, but it's fantastic. So what, what pushed you to want to be a dance psychologist? Yeah, it's it's funny because I think most, most dancers, probably wouldn't want to be a psychologist and when I tell psychologists that I specialize in dance I get a lot of kind of like looks like what (laughs) you know it doesn't naturally seem like um a a job or a thing and kind of sadly there aren't that many recognized dance psychologists it's not really a very well recognized area of psychology so I have had to kind of create that path like carve that path and really try to brand myself as a dance psychologist um so what inspired me um I think, sadly, uh, it was very much stemming from my own experience of dance training and my own mental health um, throughout my adolescent years, Um, partly related to an injury that I'd had throughout my whole kind of teenage years that was really forming kind of part of how I saw myself and how I was valuing my body and how I felt about myself as a kind of teenage girl. And... As that injury became more and more severe and it became more and more apparent that I was not going to be going off to university or college to study um, dance, I found psychology and I've always been like a very nerdy child. I loved kind of reading, 
being and I'm really actually very glad that despite all of the dancing I did during childhood I always did my homework <laughs> because I'm super super academic and when I when I discovered psychology it's, it's actually really quite fascinating to me because even though people look at me like I'm completely weird when I say I'm a psychologist for dancers or I'm a dance psychologist, there's actually loads and loads of areas of psychology where researchers look at dancers to try to understand human beings. So whether that's around like how we um, learn and process information or whether that's around like um, the role of um, like the environment in developing eating disorders. It's actually lots and lots of research that's done on dancers. So then I thought I'm going to make this like a full-time job. <laughs> and um, I, I guess I have in my own roundabout way of going into a lecturing position where I research dancers. So it's not been an easy path. I faced a lot of like people thinking that I'm really stupid <laughs> or like this is a really unnecessary path to follow in psychology along the way. But I have to say that I feel like so, so lucky that I found an academic position where the university that I'm working at is 100% behind my mission for supporting dancers. They wholly get why I want to do that and not research, you know, something else that other people might be like, yes, that's a more kind of sensible application of your psychology knowledge. So I, I just love like where I'm at the uni now. They absolutely like go for it, research, dance, like this is really important to you. So it's important to us. That's really lovely. And I think it's so important. And I think, you know, like you say, there aren't many dance psychologists. There's not enough things that are spoken about within our performing arts industry. And it's people like you that are changing and turning the tide and making these things happen. So thank you so much from every single one of us. Um, And I think as well, you know, when people say you're a dance when you say you're a dance psychologist, people, you know, apparently give you funny looks. And that's half the problem with our industry is because it's so unheard of. Uh, It's almost taboo. And that's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. And I I think, um, I think sadly, dance is is one of those professions, which I know when I speak to dance students, they say, oh, you know, I get so much disrespect for it. Or people think that's not a career, that's not a job. And I think that psychology still has that kind of perception that it's a bit of Someone the other day called it a woo-woo subject to me, which I love that description. Woo-woo, like an, a woo-woo science. It's like it's not a real science. So when you put them together, it's like, oh, dance is like a not real subject and psychology is not a real subject. So put them together and it's like double the not real subject. Uh, it's, yeah, it's why we need people like you to come in and change that and change the way that people think. And hopefully by getting you on this podcast as well and by so many other things I know you'll go on and do hopefully we can we can help your mission and change (laughs) change the way that arts is perceived and change the way that psychology is perceived and dance psychology together so that's amazing so what areas of the industry do you think are most prominent for causing people's and performers mental health to suffer yeah, so, okay, this is going to be quite a long answer, so bear with me here, because I, um, I thought you would ask me this, and I've, I've had a little think about how best to explain this. So I think when we're thinking about mental health in dancers, it's really important to first start by saying that mental health is a problem in the whole world, in humans in general. So if we look at the statistics of um, people in the UK, in the last week, about one in six people will have had a problem with their mental health. 
And there's some research which showed that lifetime prevalence of a mental health disorder is about 43%. So nearly one in two people having a mental health problem. So when we look at those statistics, I think it's really, if we start from the point of looking at a normal person, like your average person in the UK, let's say you've got around, let's take the one in six. That means that one in six of those dancers, regardless of anything in the health, the dance context, is likely to have had a mental health problem in the last week. So the baseline starting problem, I think, is that in most normal, like uh, kind of typical routes of education and um, occupations, there is now support in place for that. So if you put a child through school, into a university, into the workplace, in most of those, the majority majority of places there is a mental health service however if we look at dance my understanding is that at least in the occupations you don't have that support so um those kind of counsellors mental health practitioners that your average person going through the british school system into a job has isn't present in the dance context so that's as a baseline. And then on top of that, you're adding in the dance context of it. Now, I, I mean, I don't know if um, I don't know if your experience is different. And part of what we're trying to look at in this research that I'm doing is to, to find out how many dancers do have access to a mental health practitioner. So how many dancers do have access to a counsellor. But my understanding is that most don't have access to a counsellor through their training. I mean, do you mind me asking, did you have... Do you know, was there a mental health service in the schools? No, that you in? Uh, there was a well-being officer, and they were kind of the person you spoke to if you were struggling. Um, however, there was no support kind of offered beyond that point. It was kind of go and tell them your problems and then leave, and that was kind yeah. of so, it. So <laughs> no, there was no counselling. Like, no counselling. They didn't really tell you where to go if you needed help. And I was very aware at the time that there was a lot of performers that were, you know, in my year and other years that were really struggling with their mental health. And even when other people flagged it up and said, look, I think this person might be struggling, it was kind of, oh, unless they come to us, we're turning a blind either doing it on their own maybe they don't want to talk about it which I get but also there's a certain amount especially when you're in a training facility or an educational facility I feel that they they are responsible for our well-being and they need to address that more and when people flag it up maybe they should you know even if that person maybe doesn't want to come forward there should be things they put in place to maybe un um unnoticeably help them yeah yeah, and this I guess this is exactly my point, that if that young person or you and your peers had gone through a traditional education system into university, there would be a counselling service. There would be signs on the back of the toilet door that say, are you feeling low? You know, that there's not this kind of like just typical support that you have in other education institutions in the dance institutions or um in the workplace as well so most in you know I'm, I'm generalizing here but in an you know an office of business there is support for me if I need to speak to somebody working in a university and I need mental health support there is a counseling service that I can go to as an employee we don't have that for dancers so that's where it's kind of going with a baseline that education and organizations should be providing that support and then on top of that, we're adding in like all of these multi-complex layers around what it is to be a performer. 
on top of the fact that you just don't have that standard kind of mental health support provision that should be in place. And when you look at kind of models of mental health and what might um, predispose somebody or encourage the onset of a mental health problem, there's kind of like all these different complex layers that um, are around how the individual is as a person. So kind of risk factors for the individual. Um, so things like um, if somebody has um, an identity disorder, for example, or um, if somebody comes from a particular geographical area of the country, you might already be predisposed to developing a kind of mental health concern. And then on top of that, we can look at the environments that people are exposed to. So um, is, is that environment putting people um, in extra, under extra stress? Is that environment um, asking too much of people? And then we add on another layer, which is about the social networks that people have. So are the social networks supportive? Um, are there people that you feel that you can turn to? And then we can add on another layer, which is around the lifestyle that individuals have as well. So what sort of lifestyle is somebody having? Is somebody um, sleeping enough? Are they eating enough, etc. So when you like unpick the, this kind of like layering of what might predispose someone to a mental health problem, at every layer of it, you've got very specific kind of what I'd call triggers or red flags in dance. So if we think about lifestyle, dancers often don't sleep enough. They Their diet is often very dodgy <laughs> because they feel that they need to under eat. So have low caloric intake um, in order to meet the expectations on how they're going to be physically. Um, they might be exercising too much, um, not have enough rest time. When you look at the social network, often the people that you should be, should just be a friend is actually a competition. So that social network is rather than being supportive, it's like you're my support, but you're also a stress for me. Um, a social network might also be our family, but often in dance, I think we feel very much like we have to impress our parents or make it all worth their time. So every layer of what might protect someone or exacerbate kind of mental health concerns, every little bit of the kind of psychological profile is changed for a dancer. And that's before we even get to like the whole pressure of what happens day to day in class, the comments, the um, <laughs> the clothing, the mirrors, the um, kind of high, high, high demands that are being placed on people. So it's really difficult to like answer what exactly is it about dance. But for me, it's kind of like it's existing at every possible layer of what it is to be a human being, that there are these kind of like what I'd call like a red flag, like that that could be a cause of mental health but also so could that be so could that be so does, does that make sense absolutely when you were saying all the different like levels that there can be and all the different kind of triggers I was thinking in my head oh gosh like that's a big one for dance and that's a big one for dance because so many things are expected of dancers and performers that you wouldn't get in an office you wouldn't get in a normal job your mm -hmm. boss probably wouldn't come in and tell you you were putting on weight or maybe <laughs> you know um comparing you to the employee next yeah. to you or um you probably wouldn't be made to wear certain things I mean all of those things you'd be sent to HR for because you know they're all you know really bad for people's mental health and mental well-being so I think when you mention all these different layers that you know people go through that could set people off I was a bit like oh my goodness like no wonder 
that all these people suffered because it's so easy and I've done this exercise before where you, where I kind of take a print out of this idea of like this multi-layered person environment, social network and ask people to fill in and I never look at it, but what do you think could be the kind of things that you deal with? And suddenly it's like, wow, this is like n- not me. It's so much more than just me as an individual. It's me in this like whole kind of like social network environment that I'm existing in. Um, and I think that that's quite useful, but it also does tell us that we need to think more broadly about um the dance environment and that's i think kind of why i'm very interested in what can we do environmentally in dance um rather than i don't work individually with dancers helping them to address their kind of mental health needs but i'm really really keen to look at like this environment that we're creating because you're so right like sometimes i go and work with dancers and they tell me someone said this to me or someone made that comment or someone told me like you have to lose weight because you're not going to fit in the costume that i've got for you and i just walk away and i just think this is like i know that this is what happens but it's so far removed from anything that anybody would ever dare say to me in my workplace it's like a whole different world of um, kind of comments and feedback. And you're totally right. In no other world would it be okay <laughs> in the normal world to say those comments and to, to make such personal statements about somebody. You know, if even if a colleague says to me, you look nice today, it's a bit like, oh, <laughs> that was unusual that you even complimented me. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the mental resilience has to be a lot higher to tackle all these things and to kind of, when triggers arise, to put them to bed. Um, and I feel like your work is going to definitely help with things like that and raising awareness to the schools and the universities and all the companies, because that's where it starts from. It's got to look after the people that are looking after the performers. It needs to be, what can they do to prevent their performers from getting ill and looking after themselves yeah absolutely and I think one of the the troubles that exists in dance and any other kind of industry you know sports and gymnastics where there's lots of things kind of coming out at the minute is that the trouble exists that this is a kind of a historical problem that's built on a particular tradition so one of the reasons why I feel it's really important that we look at it kind of environmentally and from the teacher perspective is that those individuals that are teaching are, we can feel um, how dare they make these comments to me about my weight or how dare they kind of treat dancers this way, but they're bringing to it what they knew. They're only doing what they knew. So until we break this cycle of performance becoming teachers, all we're going to do is keep exacerbating this kind of problem that, you know, these teachers, they don't know another version of the dance world. They were brought up, they were raised in this world, which is very critical. So somewhere we need to like stop, say stop this and let's revolutionise like how we do this teaching because otherwise it will just continue forever. We'll just get that kind of traditional cycle of performer becomes teacher and performer only knows that you teach by critique and you teach by insult and you teach by, you know, picking on people. Yeah. So it's about somewhere and saying teachers need to learn this new way. And that's where I think that the scientific approach can be quite helpful because if we can provide some kind of evidence that this way of teaching or not doing it in this way leads to longer careers, leads to better outcomes, I think that's where I try to kind of make my argument. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that is so necessary. And like you say, people only know what they've been taught and it's, you know, not necessarily stem from 
what who they are it's not necessarily that they they want to be malicious or rude or anything like that it's just that that is how they got taught if you want to be a performer you have to be like this and so they drew all that in to make you the best that you can be but they don't realize all the things that it's bringing up that are negative yeah absolutely they haven't had any other opportunity to to see to see that world in a different way so I think it's very much about changing the kind of approach to teaching and um I guess the more things that come out like this, like resources for performers who might then become teachers one day that think, hang on a minute, you know, I had that that podcast series that um, Bethany did where they were talking about this. I think that that will, with time previously, change the approach of people, you know, our generation of, of people working in the performing arts industry. Hopefully, let's hope so. Let's absolutely get Lucy into all the training facilities. Absolutely, because she's incredible. Um, what can we do as performers then to help combat these issues and support other performers around us and look after ourselves when we're potentially facing these issues? Yeah, so I mean that's a that's a huge um, question, and I think it will all depend on the kind of individual and whether that individual needs to seek help. So my first advice is always if you feel that you're mental health or even if you don't want to call it your mental health your well-being is um impacting on you in a way which is disrupting your kind of day-to-day I think it's really important to not feel that that's a weakness if you want to seek help and even if you're in a dance environment where somebody makes you think it's a weakness remember that we are very lucky in this country to have the NHS um and I know that the NHS mental health care system will not understand the dance context, but, you know, don't be afraid to, to reach out and go and get that help. But I think on a day-to-day basis, for me, it's very much about, and this is something that I deal with myself because I love my job. Um, it probably as much as a dancer loves performing. I love researching. I love working with dancers. But on a day-to-day kind of self-care approach, it's really just about keeping yourself quite grounded in um, your identity and, and it not all being all that you do. So having time for yourself, having time away from dance, I think is really important. Um, and having time to just be a person. I think in dance, and to be honest, I do it myself, we often kind of identify ourselves as like, I'm a dancer, or this is who I am. I think it's really important that we learn that actually I'm just a person who dances. So as a person, I need to have other bits of me. And if my kind of identity and my mental health is also around being a friend or like playing netball or having other parts of me, then that will kind of, when things go wrong in in dance, that those other parts of me kind of buffer. So I think it's just really important and it's a lesson I'm completely learning myself because I love my job. I could do it seven seven days a week for about 12 hours. But I think it's really about learning to have other things and do other things and have conversations with people that aren't about dance, (laughs) that aren't about performance, have friends that are outside. And I think that that kind of protects somebody kind of emotionally, mentally from... um, um, if if you if something goes wrong in dance you've kind of got this other part of your heart let's say a little chunk of your heart which isn't damaged by that feedback so you've kind of got this other part of you that's completely separated from that feedback or those bad times 
Yeah, 100%. I know that when I, like yourself, when I struggled with a really long-term injury, for me, sat watching everyone every day while I was sat on the sidelines was a really difficult thing. And I did feel like, well, now what do I do? Because, you know, that's been my entire life. And obviously dance training is from eight in the morning to six o'clock at night. So it doesn't leave you with a lot of time. And then my like teaching was my job at the time so that was what was helping pay for everything so I was turning up to teach in a cast because I you know I needed the money and I knew how to teach well so I didn't have to demonstrate things I got students to demonstrate and things but it was a real challenge for me I felt like every day I was losing who I was a little bit and that's when um TPJ started was because you know I'd always I'd always thought about this thing and blogging and sharing my experiences of the industry and then when I wanted to relate to someone mentally about about dealing with a long-term injury there was nothing out there so that's when this kind of happened and now this is my second you know thing it's like whenever I am not currently in a contract and I'm having some rest time that's what I go to then to keep the passion and keep it going and knowing that I'm doing something that is related to my career but it's not something that is directly I'm not in the studio every day or I'm not in rehearsals. I really love that because one of the activities that I do with um, dancers when I go and do my workshops is often or one of the activities I show the teachers that I encourage them to do with dancers is this little activity where you draw a pie chart and you kind of split your, your yourself into these different roles. Um, and it's really telling. So if you say to a dancer, take the pie chart and split it into who you are, so the different roles you have in life, without a shadow of a doubt, they're going to put dancer as the biggest chunk of the pie chart. And then they might have daughter, sister, brother, son, friend, um, maybe a few other little things going on in there. And then if you say to somebody, now take the dancer aspect of that and redraw your pie chart what it is to be a dancer and split it up what does being a dancer mean to you so somebody puts in that pie chart performer so being a dancer and that's all they can say that being a dancer is that is again a bit of a kind of red flag if they put in their being a dancer with part performer teacher choreographer blogger etc that's a much more healthy approach towards it. So when I when I look at um, when I when I talk to people, I'm actually really fascinated by everything you just said. You just, you did exactly what I recommend, which is that when I talk to people about injury and go and do workshops on injury, one of the things that I always say is if you, you have to accept, you probably will get injured during your career. So you need to work out when you're injured. What are you going to do that in performing that you can put in your pie chart now that becomes part of your identity. So when you're injured, you switch that part on. And you've done exactly that by picking up the, the performer journals with, with the podcast. You've done exactly what the advice would be. And I've, I've thought so much around coronavirus. I've really hoped that this has helped people to find that other part of their identity because probably the people that have struggled over the six months the hardest are those who would have filled the pie chart with performer only. I'm guessing people like you, you've had your project, you've been able to really work on the other side of, of what it is to be a dancer and I expect that you've got through the last six months I would hope with a bit more kind of happiness and, and mental well-being because you've got the other part of your identity so actually you're a great example of exactly what I say you should do and I've always said that if you get you know if you get injured in this one time you pick up this other job then when it happens again you know I go back to that and probably because you had that time of 
of doing of, of your injury and finding the performer journals you've been able to do that during covid so you're a great example and i'm actually going to use you if that's okay <laughs> as an example oh i'm not sure about that but yeah yeah no that's fine it's great i mean you've done exactly what a psychologist would recommend oh, amazing. To, to keep yourself mentally well yeah oh, thank you <laughs> um yeah i mean i and one other big thing for me i know that um i felt when i graduated that I was I was feeling guilty for not going to class when I graduated um I spent like three months not going to class and you know everyone was like are you not gonna go take a class like you were starting a choreography contract in September you need to take class in that time and I was really you know what teachers would say would naughty and didn't go to class for quite a while um but it was the best thing I ever did because when I went back to class, I went somewhere completely different. Um, and I just enjoyed it again. And I felt like, you know, I'd been so regimented in the way that I'd trained. I think as performers, we get like these blinkers on and we're like, right, this is our career. We have to train. And, you know, there's, there's a reason why we started and why we wanted to do this. So um, don't ever feel guilty, I think, is one of the main things. Because I know I felt it. I felt really guilty for not you know, doing my career and keeping up, especially just after graduating, I was like, Beth, you need to get your foot in the door, like, go, go, go. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, it was looking back, it was probably the best thing I ever did, because now I enjoy taking class again. I feel like I just needed that break to distance myself from from training. And I think that might be hard for performers to detach from the guilt and the career aspect to find the passion again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, this is the kind of thing that I would always say, you should give it a go. And I get when I mention things like that, people are like, well, no, no chance I can do that, because there's so much fear associated with having a break. And there's so much, I think, as dancers, we're kind of told you have to, you have to take every opportunity, don't ever say no. Um, And our whole kind of work is like, riding on your your right this kind of complete guilt or fear that if we say no to one opportunity or if we don't do one thing right we're naughty (laughs) or we're you know going to miss out on things and I completely agree that having that kind of downtime and just creating like a a different version in our head of um how it is to, to be a dancer just being a bit more flexible I'm sure since that you've probably felt a bit I guess more resilient stronger probably more kind kind to yourself um, and I, again, I think when Corona started, I think that, that the advice that I would have given to anybody is don't do anything, don't do dance for the first couple of, you know, couple of weeks, month, just have a bit of a break. And again, I said that to a few people and they're like, no, 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 I must be dancing straight away. But I, I don't think that that's always the most productive thing. As humans, we need rest. We need to have a break. We need to recover. We need to get over our burnout. Um, and we need to just be flexible. And I think you're completely right. Breaking away from that rigidity of training is brave, but probably a really good idea. I love that you did that. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it is hard, though. And I feel like as performer, that was a real um, struggle for me to be able to be completely like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen to teachers and put my fingers in my ears and do what I want. Um, yeah. But you know, it took me quite a long time to realise that, you know, what you're training for, sometimes you need to take a step back and see who you are and 
have that rest time, like you say, and refresh, and then you can go back to training stronger. Um, but I think mm-hmm. for me mentally, that was quite a um, quite a tough thing I was battling myself with because I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to listen to them or whether to do my own thing and you know feel really you know healthy and healthy and you know ready to um, tackle the industry again. So um, I'm so glad that you've brought that up because it you know, it has actually affected me like that. And um, I'm so pleased that, you know, you've come on here and you've said, have that break, have that time for yourself. Because I feel like we hear all the time, we've got to train, 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 train. But people forget the the rest and the periods we need to feel our passion again. Mm. And I think um, when you when you think about kind of mental health problems and particularly anxiety, anxiety is really a concern around worrying about the future or what's going to come next and I think in dance we're very looking for another contract looking for someone else's reassurance that everything's going to be okay wondering what's going to pay the next bill what's going to be the next big thing that happens to me am I going to be secure in the future so I think by having a bit of a break and allowing you yourself to stop wondering what next what what will someone else think you're you're then allowing yourself to live in the present moment and also to have your own um control so like autonomy over the decisions that you're making um and I think that just allowing yourself a little bit of time to just live in the present moment and be in be in control of your own decisions is very good for a person psychologically so there are you know there's ways that we can just say oh you should just have a break but actually when you look kind of psychologically theoretically at what that's providing somebody with for their well-being it's actually providing some really really important kind of nutrients for your psychological well-being that's amazing thank you so much that's amazing advice and I'm so glad that it's being put out there to other performers you know that you can do all these things and yeah amazing um so what advice would you give someone now who's looking maybe into being a psychologist, who's maybe being inspired by this podcast or maybe has been inspired by your work or other people's that they've seen um, as well? Um, so what advice would you give to someone who is a dan- wanting to be a dance psychologist and specialising in working with performers and how would they go about achieving that? Yeah, so I think my number one advice is that it is a long journey. So for me, it's eight years of study, which which was long, (laughs) I will admit. Um, But, you know, dancers are are made for hard work, so that's fine. Um, But the hard work and the the amount of time it would take to become a psychologist is is worth it and needed. So often I meet people who say, like, I'm a dancer or I've got this um, degree or this background, what would I need to do? And it does, when you put it down on paper, it looks like it's quite a long journey. But I really, 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 really want to encourage people to go and work in this field and to bring those experiences that they've got. And I think um, I've often met people who are like, but because there isn't mental health support, I don't know if there's there will ever be the work for me. Um, and I've met people who are like, oh, no, but you've got that covered or this person's doing that. Like, there are lots of you. And it's like, well, yeah, we're quite prominent on social media, the handful of people that there are, but there's no one else. <laughs> this is not a job where there are lots of people. So we need more people. And the more people there are kind of actively... Um, qualified and saying look I'm here and I've got this advice the better so go for it we need more people um the important thing is that 
people get the correct qualifications. Um, I think the other thing to point out, which is really important, is that a psychologist is one route, um, which is what I've done where it's quite scientific, very theoretically driven. I can't really work with people individually in the mental health space. However, what we also need, um, which is um, perhaps a slightly quicker process, is more counsellors. So doing a degree in counselling and becoming an accredited counsellor is also um, a really good option for any dancer that wants to work in the kind of mental health and dance space. Because what we need is um, going back to where I started with this idea that schools and companies don't have counsellors. What we need is more counsellors that know about dance. And in my opinion, the more dance schools that start to employ a counsellor, the more that will become the norm. So I think um, for me, it's a call for people to consider becoming a counsellor as a career um, because it's a safe career. We will always need counsellors because of this kind of national global mental health crisis. Um, so you will always be employable. <laughs> there will always be jobs if you want to be a counsellor. But I think with time, there will be lots more dance schools employing counsellors for dancers as well. So I strongly encourage that if people are interested in this. Um, and it's a great job that somebody could do part-time with being a performer as well, because you can have your own clinic privately. Um, so that that would be my advice. But if anyone is interested, I'm, I love chatting to people about this. I'm more than happy to talk to people about the kind of different paths. There's lots of complicated ways you can become a psychologist. So I'm more than happy to chat to anyone who is keen on it. Oh, thank you so much. I will put um, Dr. Lucy's Instagram handle in the bio. So please don't worry, you won't find her. You absolutely will. I will make sure it's in the notes, show notes for this episode. I will also put a post up about her on my Instagram. So if you are struggling, head to the Performer Journals and you can find her on there also. Um, so last question on this front, what advice would you give to aspiring performers? Yeah, I think my overall advice is always just to remember you're a person first and a dancer second. So when we go back to this sense of identity, just remember that you're a human being and you're not only a dancer. You've got other qualities. You've got other things that people love about you. And the more that you appreciate those and take time to nurture those, um, the, the happier and healthier you will be. And I also just want to kind of say the other thing that I think is important to think about is that if you look at kind of dance and, and well-being I want dancers to think about the number of hours that they train their technique so if you in a week spend 20 to 30 hours training your technique then why aren't you spending two to three hours training your mental health looking after your mental health as well so if we could take the same if you as a dancer or performer can take the same severity the same um commitment to looking after your mental health as you do your technique that will put you in really really good stead and I'm, I'm pretty sure as difficult as it is to find that time that you probably could find somewhere in your week to just take a few hours to look after yourself whatever that means whether that's you know I'm coloring <laughs> I'm coloring in this swear book right now and it's you know the mindfulness coloring and it's got swear words on it but it works for me like just to get my head into that and not think about anything else just taking little moments here and there to just commit to your mental well-being the same way that you commit to your technique is really important amazing thank you so much and um at the minute i believe that you are doing a questionnaire with one dance uk do you want to tell us a little bit about that is how what that is and how performers can help you in your cause 
Yeah, so I'm doing um, some really important research with One Dance UK. I'm very excited to be working with One Dance UK because they've been so prominent and so influential in bringing about lots of changes to dancers' health. So back in 2005, they published a big um, kind of national survey called Fit to Dance that looked at the status of um, kind of health and well-being in the UK dance force. Um, it was more focused on physical well-being at that time, but they did um, identify lots of kind of concerns around psychological well-being. And one of the, the things they picked up on that was the low number of dancers with access to um, support. So what we're doing 15 years down the line is now trying to assess has anything changed? So what we want to figure out in our research is what percentage of dancers have access to this psychological support or do they know where to find it if um, if not? And we also want, we've got some questionnaires in there that are about your kind of mental health at the moment as well. So what we want to know is, are enough, do dancers have access to support? Um, and do dancers have mental health concerns? What sort of mental health problems are ongoing? So it's quite a long questionnaire, but it's really um, the aims of it in the end. I think it's really important that you tell people what you're trying to achieve from that. The aim of it is to have this kind of national picture of what mental health looks like in performers um, and to understand are we in the UK doing enough to look after our performers and where might be areas of um, kind of shortfall. Um, so one of the questions in there is particularly aimed at freelance dancers. We have an inkling that if you're a freelance dancer, you've probably got no means at all of accessing mental health support, but we just need to be able to evidence that with some numbers in order to be able to try to change that. So that's the aim of it. Um, I think that Bethany is going to share the, the details on her Instagram, but I would really appreciate anyone who's got spare 20 minutes to just fill that out so that we can find some numbers to support the cause and one dance uk is a great vehicle for be able, being able to make changes thank you so much yeah so guys please make sure that you go and just take 20 minutes to help change the industry with dr lucy and one dance they're doing some amazing work they're going to really help change this sector um for so many ways and in definitely for the better um so please make sure you do do that for her and for the performing arts industry that would be amazing um just really quickly last thing if there are any performers that are listening to this that think they need urgent care or urgent mental health aid where could they go to get that support uh, yeah, absolutely. You can always um, call the Samaritans or look on the Samaritans website. There's also a um, text service, which I'm not sure that that many people know about. So it's a short number. If you Google um, crisis and then shout, it's a five digit number that you can text shout to you and they will give you support for as long as you need. So this is if you're in a moment of crisis and you are um, having a panic attack or feeling very anxious, for example. Um, I'd also really like to highlight you can always look on places like Mind as well so mind is a great resource and i actually really like the mind website because they have got a few articles on there about dance i don't know if um bethany if you've ever seen those but they have actually have okay. a few articles about on there which is quite fascinating but um don't be afraid to go to the nhs go to your gp as well and say i need some help um i think it's really important that we normalize doing that and that we say it's okay if we think about it, probably if you look around you, 10 people around you, one of those people is probably being to the NHS and said, I need some support with my mental health. So it's really important that we normalise doing that. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Lucy, for joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here today. You're very welcome. It's been really nice to talk to you. And I just want to say as well that I listened to your first um, podcast about your story and I could talk for ages about all the little things that I noticed about you and your attitude towards things. So I just want to say thank you so much for providing this resource as well, because I think the more that it comes from um, people like you in the industry, the more we're going to be able to make these changes. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Like I said, please do go and do fill out that questionnaire. Um, I will put Dr. Lucy's Instagram handle in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Bethany Unwin, and this has been Performer Talks. <laughs>